Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast about the spectrum of sexual experiences that humans on this planet have had and wish to have. And our guest today is 33, white, uses any pronouns. They're non-binary, pansexual, single, and are into sensory deprivation. DS dynamics, mostly on the subby side. Voyeurism and exhibitionism. An animal biologist currently in Oregon who grew up in Hawaii and California. And they grew up under the poverty line and just passed it as an adult. Fuck yeah. Congratulations. Welcome, Annika. Hello, hello, hello. Can you tell our listeners if you had to rate yourself today on a sexual shame meter with 10 being the most full of shame and one being the least shamey, where are you fall right now? I would say currently I'm hovering around a three. So I definitely grew up in the religious shame umbrella of like, don't think about it, don't talk about it, don't do it. You know, you're always being watched type of a vibe. And then I just grew into this. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and since then, everything has been very much, it don't matter as long as you're not hurting anyone else and you're not hurting yourself, then there's no shame. But there's still some hurdles we're overcoming, so we're doing pretty good there. Okay, that sounds very, like, human positive overall. Yeah. Okay, I look forward to details. Can you tell us a little bit about what your sex life is like right now and, like, favorite parts and just a little quick overview? Yeah. So interesting, after years of being like a big old slut, I've actually been celibate for the past year okay. due to kind of reframing my intentions towards sex. I feel like I've used it a lot as a form of validation mm -hmm. from others and to feel worthy. And I've taken a step back to say, do I really enjoy this? And what do I enjoy about this? And I've actually been exploring gender expression, gender identity, and sexual orientation as well in the past year. So it's been very like hands off, but like a deep mental dive. And in the past, I've just been a yes person where I would say yes to just about anything. Wow. <laughs> Can I ask if there was a specific thing that sparked you to make that decision? I think it was the culmination of solitude with the pandemic where being locked inside, you have nothing but your own thoughts. And I started analyzing my relationships because I had been in a poly kind of relationship with two individuals. And then just right before the pandemic hit, that had kind of fizzled out due to nothing other than life circumstances. And as I started to try to date again, it was just filled with more questions than answers. And so every question answered led to five more questions. And since then, it's just been a deep dive. Cool. Can you tell us your personal definition of celibacy? And do you have an endpoint in mind? Oh, that's a great question. So for me, celibacy is I'm not doing anything with another person. So no kissing, hand-holding, cuddling, hugging, nothing. <laughs> But I still masturbate and enjoy things solo and by myself, but I'm just not doing that with other people. Okay. Do you hug anybody, though? I honestly am not a hugger. Oh, okay. I told this as a joke to someone once where I was like, it takes seven years for me to feel comfortable, <laughs> like, <laughs> hugging someone. And then I was at a bar with this friend and someone bumped into me and was like, oh, my God, Annika. And I was like, hey. And I hugged them. And she was like, what the fuck? You didn't hug me. And I was like, I've actually known him for literally seven years. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How long is your celibacy going to last? Like, are you looking for an end point? I don't think that there's an end point for okay. me, like a physical point in time. But as far as like 
a comfort level okay. where whether I meet a person or people or a situation where I'm like, I feel comfortable and safe and I've laid all my cards out on the table for this to be an enjoyable and informed decision for everyone involved. I love that. And then can you tell us your personal definition of sexy? Yes. So for me, sexy comes with two points. One is confidence. And the other one is you have to have a bit of weird in you. And weird is just defined by literally, I don't have a single definition for it, but I'm like, "Mm, that's it. And then the confidence within the weirdness is just like, yes, give me more. I love that. (laughs) Because everyone is weird. Mm hmm. Yes. And it's like what kind of sets us apart from other people or makes us a deviant or just different and being like, yeah, I know that for most people, this is not normal or average. It's just very different and being able to be like, you are that and you love that. Yeah. I I love that you love that. Just starting to hit that point myself, like just in the last couple of weeks, month. But I mean, it's not a perfect like one point Mm -hmm. that I'm done, but like Man, that's so been on my mind. Where do you feel like you are on that place? Like, are you like, huh, here's my weirds. It sounds like you got to a point where you like no longer give fucks. Did I get that yes, right? Okay. That is correct. I am the no fucks given the definition. A lot of my friends who are a little bit more conservative than I am tell me that they live vicariously through me because they'll kind of put little whispers in my ear and they're like, what if we did? I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. Oh. And then I just jump in full feet. I'm much more of the let's just dive in face first and see what happens rather than analyze everything beforehand for the most part. Hence why I'm on my celibacy adventure. (laughs) I love that. And then can you just tell us what is your understanding of the idea of consent as it stands now? Not in a test way, just like how do you experience it and did you ever learn about it growing up? Okay, so I don't think I ever learned about it growing up. It was always kind of communicated as guesswork. Like, I think I'm picking up on your signals, and I hope I'm picking up on your signals, right? And I hope you're picking up on my signals, which we're not. And as my current understanding as consent goes, is if it's not enthusiastic and informed, then there's no consent there. So over-communication is almost better than guesswork. Ugh. Ha, yes. I would rather err on the side of overcommunication. And I always just like love the definition that Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton have. That's something about the collaboration for the, I don't know, maximum well-being of all parties involved. Like I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you tell us now what happens to your shame when it's time to talk about safer sex? I'm guessing that it doesn't get ruffled because you don't give the fucks. I don't give the fucks. No, I have in the past definitely had the conversation at the wrong points in time. But I feel like anytime anybody has ever been the example where I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't give a fuck. I've been like, and now I don't give a fuck. And so once I've had like that introduction with a person where they've like given me their detailed history and we're talking about it and we're saying, I don't feel comfortable until you get tested again because it's been a while. It's just been like, getting a COVID test at this point, you know, talking about that has been a great analogy for people to be like, if you're questioning it, you don't go out into a public space without your mask. The same thing goes for sex. It's honestly made things like so much easier for Mm -hmm. people to understand as well. Love that. Can you tell us about what felt wrong about those times you referenced and then like what the ideal version is for you if you're initiating it? Oh yeah, definitely. So the wrong times has definitely been after the fact (laughs) where you're just like, I've also been there, been there more than once. Yeah, exactly. Now that it's over, let's talk about that. Yeah. 
or it's been like literally right before I'm about to put somebody in my mouth or vice versa. <laughs> and you're just like, before I get into this, like, we're good. <laughs> this is fine, right? Oh. <laughs> we got there. Wasn't probably at the best time, but we got there eventually. And so now I've been definitely trying to, if I go on a date with someone and there's the intention of like, we're going to have some form of sexual interactions, I like to have those conversations before we even get on the date sometimes, because then the conversation is just so much clearer. And that happened to me once on a date with someone who I ended up seeing as a partner for quite a while, where we had talked about it previously via text. We met in person, we had the normal, you know, vanilla conversations, and then he asked me, you know, like based on this conversation and the one we had earlier, do you want to continue this into like a sexual relationship? And I was like, yes, absolutely. And then we totally did in the car after we had those conversations. So I'm like, wow, that's just like so much easier to kind of get it out of the way, especially via like text or in some form where you're not like burying your soul. Yeah. And then it just makes it so much easier because we've already talked about it. So now we're in person. We're like, hey, just checking in. You're still good, right? Is just so much easier. I love that. That is hot. Also, yay car sex. Where were you guys? Like a parking lot somewhere or just like? Well, we were at a like a brewery. So it was like kind of one of those warehouse ones that was in an industrial area. And we were not in the parking lot. We were just on the side of the road. So he wanted to like pause anytime someone walked by. And I'm like, the windows are fogged. We're (laughs) fine. (laughs) Okay, now let's go back to your early formative years. And can you tell us when, what is your first memory around sex? I was five or six and I unfortunately was sexually assaulted by my next door neighbor. But I feel like it happened and it was a very big deal, but I wasn't on my mind until, you know, you hit the age where now you're thinking a lot more about sex. And then I was definitely referencing back to that. But I grew up running around the woods with the neighborhood kids. And when we were like eight, they led us into a field to show us a Playboy magazine. And so we were all like, looking at it. And I remember being like, lollipops don't go there. What is this? <laughs> oh, no. That's a yeast infection waiting to happen, just to say that for safety purposes, if that's where I think it is. But at least as a child, I was still like, lollipops don't go yeah. there. So I've always been a little bit ahead of the curve. And so we used to do like hood kids stuff where we would go to the ABC store down the street and steal nudie magazines to go look at them. So I feel like I've always been aware But I definitely didn't get that formal education until like middle school, high school. Okay. And was that in school or did you have like a sex talk from parent? Oh, no. My mom was the worst. And so she never had a conversation about it other than like, you need to marry somebody rich. But (laughs) it was definitely through school and talking to my peers that really educated me or the untrustworthy individuals that my mom brought around the home. But that was definitely the formal education was school and friends. Okay. What do you remember about school and friends and like the actual like emotional parts of the learning combined with the physical parts? Like what was it like for you? Yeah. So I remember in, I want to say it was like fifth or sixth grade, we got the whole like, this is the sperm traveling to the egg. And all the other girls in my class were like, but what does it mean when my tummy feels this special kind of way? 
and that was all just supposed to be very scientific based. But when I got to high school, I had like the best sex ed teacher. She was this lesbian who, when we were doing anatomy, she's like, you can draw your own penis or vagina. You can make it as big or as small as you want. You can make it whatever you want. We're going to label it. And like, was just very like blunt and straight to the point. And that's who I am. So I was like, yes, I love this. So we had a lot of education around safe sex and using protection. And of course the list of all the STDs, et cetera. But my teacher was just very unapologetic and that just made things so much more easy and comfortable to talk about. But teenage pregnancy was still a really big thing and where I lived poverty and all that sort and resources. We didn't have shit for shit, but then we would have like local comedians come and do skits to talk about safe sex. And all I remember is a guy dressed as a very exaggerated woman with like tagle biddies that were exorbitantly large. And the one joke this is the only joke I remember about the whole assembly is anytime that they said STDs, she'd go S titties and then like shake her boobs. And it was supposed to be like humorous and educate us on how to have safe sex. And then we watched the birthing video and that solidified that I will never have children. (laughs) Oh man, I've heard that from more than one person. Oh man. Pause for a second though. Like what is the effect of the S titties? Like how what did that do to your little brain? Did it destigmatize STDs for you? Or was it just like, huh. Oh, there was, it definitely did not destigmatize. It definitely <laughs> made it like even like, I definitely okay. don't want that. I don't want to be made fun of in front of a high school auditorium of children because I'm the one who got something that was quote dirty. So I did not feel like it destigmatized anything, but I think that their goal was to use humor to educate us. But again, this is... 15 plus years later. And that is the only thing that I remember from that. Yeah. What do you remember learning from like friends? Was there better information or were Playboys the extent of it? I think from friends, as we were all like continuing to talk, we're all saying things like some conversations I remember as a kid, like other girls being like, I used to think that I knew what kissing was until I actually started kissing or someone saying, I can't believe this person asked, do you blow during a blow job? And me just sitting there like, I've never done any of these things. I don't want to be stupid when I do it. So I'm like, why would they think that you're not supposed to blow? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more about how to do that correctly. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I would never blow. But like, what do you do? I mean, that's actually why this podcast exists. Because I was like, I don't fucking know what are the details that other people are doing. Because like, I didn't learn enough through porn. Like, I remember like trying to look up blowjobs on pre YouTube videos. So, did you ever have like a sexual mentor? Like, did they give good answers? Did you would you figure stuff out? You know, honestly, I don't know how I really figured things out. My first sexual experience, again, I was like pretty like I'm saving myself for marriage. I didn't swear till I was 17. I didn't have my first kiss till I was 18. I didn't have sex till I was 19. And the person that I ended up having sex with for the first time was a very interesting situation because this is like, you know, the height of my space and like internet. And I had just graduated kind of high school and was figuring my life out and had my first job. And I'm like, I have money and no responsibilities. I ended up 
flying across the country to like meet someone that I met on the internet, which I do not recommend. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm still alive and here yeah. today. Anyway, so I ended up meeting this individual who I'm pretty sure I met in a chat room. And I was like, I'm not going to do the sex thing. And I was like, but we can do like a lot of other things, but like, you know, clothes stay on, genitals not about. Anyways, we ended up like half naked on top of each other. And I was just like, do you got a condom? Should we just we're already here. Let's just do this. And so we did. And I remember walking into the bathroom afterwards, because another thing I really remembered from high school sex ed was you have to pee afterwards. And I was like, I got to go pee. Like, I just have to go right now, this very moment. I went into the bathroom and I thought I was going to have like a movie moment where I was going to look up in the mirror from washing my hands and I was going to be a different person. And I was like, here it is. Here's my moment. And then I was like, oh, it's still me. (laughs) I'm exactly the same person, just a little sweaty. (laughs) And then from there, again, it was like, I'm not burning in hell. I don't feel any different. I don't look any different. And we're just going to dive right in. And that's exactly what I did for the next decade was just kind of say yes to a lot of different things. A lot of no's in the beginning, I would say, because I was like, I definitely will never like hair pulling or choking or spanking. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I do like those things. Let's do those things. (laughs) Before we get into the details of that decade, can you tell us some of the details of your own body and your own journey with touching it? Like also what body parts do you have? What do they like to feel, et cetera? Yeah. So I'm a vagina owner. And when I was young and was navigating masturbation, like in high school, that was like when I started swearing, I was like, what's next? Uh, It's touching myself. And so I didn't really know how to do that. So I just knew that like penetration was what the movies kind of show you. So that's going to be the most pleasurable. So I would try things out with like the end of a hairbrush. And I'm like, I guess that feels good, but I'm not like orgasming. I'm not having that like explosion. And I didn't have an orgasm until I was about 21, even though I had had sex. But then I started, I had never watched porn or anything either, but this was like the Tumblr days where like everything on Tumblr was like erotic and like porn, but it wasn't in a very like harsh way. So I was like, this is the porn that I can consume. I feel comfortable with this. And then I started touching myself and exploring like my clitoris because before any touch there. I was like, that's too painful. It's too much. Like it must be different. It must be broken. Mm. It must be wrong because it's like, it's so intense that it's so painful. But after I figured out kind of how to maneuver around it, and then I had my first orgasm, then it was like, Oh, I get it. I know why boys masturbate all the time. This is amazing. I want to masturbate all the time. I'm going to do this all the time everywhere. How have I not done this before? But it still took a few years before I was able to achieve orgasm with a partner. Again, because it was very centered on like their pleasure. And I thought that was the goal essentially. And if I got one in, then like good for me. But once I figured out how to please myself and a person, it was like game over from there. Ah. Good. That seems like a good time to tell us how did you figure out how to please yourself and another person? Was there a specific method? I would I don't think for <laughs> me personally, it is all about clitoral stimulation. Like I cannot from penetration alone. However, one thing I did discover is that for me, the first time that I tried anal was absolutely horrible. 
But then I was with a partner who like knew what they were doing and was very communicative. And then I had an orgasm through that, still through clitoral stimulation. But it was like when I touched my clit, it was like touching the detonation button. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I never knew I could feel this way before. (laughs) And then it was like, wow, I want to do that all the time. But you can't do it all the time. So you have to go from there. So then it was like, wow, there's so many different things to do. And then I started bringing toys into it. But I definitely, for me, need to have clitoral stimulation in order to orgasm. Amazing. Okay, so now can you just take us into the specifics of what you love about sex? I feel like I have a very busy brain and I'm not officially diagnosed, but I highly suspect that I have ADHD. And so my brain is very busy and I get easily distracted by everything within the world, the color, the sounds, the textures, the what am I supposed to be feeling in this moment versus what am I feeling? Mm. And I can get very involved. And once I got into kink and I started using blindfolds and dirty talk and bondage, and it really like made me center and focus on the moment and it was literally like, oh my God, the world is quiet and this is so pleasurable And I am fully trusting the person that I'm having this encounter with. And I feel like that is very vulnerable for someone like me. So all those things kind of combined were just incredible. Amazing. Can you tell us how you decided to get into kink or ended up getting into kink? So up until I was about 25, I had been in very heteronormative relationships and very straight. (laughs) And I had ended in a relationship and was kind of starting to explore myself and wanted to explore things within that relationship. But he was not 100% comfortable with the things that I was interested in. And when that relationship ended, I ended up moving and I literally was like, I'm just going to say yes to everything because I don't know what I like until I experience it. Mm. And then I ended up in a relationship with someone who was nine years older than me, had done some pornography filming, not a ton, but a few here and there. As a performer? Yes. (gasps) And was like very sexually open and communicative. And when we got together, it was a very short relationship and it was purely sexual. And I mean, like, We lived an hour apart and I would go to his place and we would spend 24 hours just like fucking. (laughs) Amazing. You know, like I'd show up at 10 o'clock the night before and then leave sometime the next afternoon. And it was just like, I never thought that I could go that many times. My body did things that I didn't know that my body could do. Totally can relate. And I was like, wow, there's so many things that I didn't know that I liked until I experienced them with this person. And so then I started saying yes to a lot more things. So I had a couple approach me and they were like, hey, like, we think you're really hot. Do you want to play with us? And I was like, yes, let's try that. And then I was like, wow, I like this. And I didn't know that I would like this. And there were a lot of things that I tried that I didn't like, like meeting strangers in a hotel. I didn't like that. But a lot of things I did discover that I really, really enjoyed from saying yes. It's kind of like, again, like dive in face first. What do we like? Okay, now we can focus on those things and now be more safe that we're diving in more fully. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your process of checking in with yourself and what it feels like to be like, oh, I don't like hotel rooms and maybe what you don't like about them and then how you kind of use that to decision make sexually going forward? 
Yeah. So within my last year of celibacy, I really had more time to reflect where I think a lot of people, a lot of my friends after like sharing stories viewed me as like, kind of like a sex slut who would like fuck anyone and anything. And like, yeah, but also no, at least I have like standards. And I think I really came to realize that I probably am more aligned with demisexual, like pansexual in that like a person, I like people. So it doesn't matter who you are, but demisexual in that, like, I really got to know who you are and trust you for me to really enjoy the physical experiences that we're having together. Mm -hmm. So one thing that the hotel experience really opened up for me was I thought that I could just like I had had such positive experiences that I could have those with other people, no matter who they were. And that was really a harsh, like, no, you can't. Mm. (laughs) And you don't know this person. And now that you're finally getting to know them, there's things that you don't like that are hindering you from moving forward. And so now instead of jumping straight into the bed with someone, I really want to get to know you and make sure that we can be friends first and then all the fun stuff can happen from there. But it took me a really long time to figure that out. I think because I was in the mindset of like, this is what you're supposed to do or feel or be able to accomplish. And I was like, man, why am I not coming with these hot stranger sexes? Why is that not (laughs) happening? Oh, it turns out you don't feel comfortable. (laughs) Totally. That's such a good, insightful point. And as I hear you talk too, I can sort of as I feel into my own sexuality, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's different contexts and I have different needs in different contexts. Because I obviously get off on novelty seeking a lot. I'm like the new thing. I love it. And I love physical touch. But yeah, for something to continue, I have to have a like in the person. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess for like ongoing things, maybe I am a little more demisexual. But then also for the orgasms, having someone who can create that container of safety that I think I'm hearing. So can you tell us more details about your submissive self? I heard that you get relaxed. I heard that there's some sensory play. Can you just go into maybe sensory details of your body and emotional states as it comes up? And it sounds like maybe that would relate to the demisexuality part too, that kind of like trust container. Yes. So in my everyday life, like I live alone. I am very like in charge and make a lot of decisions within my life. So being able to go into subspace, I get to turn my brain off. Like I don't have to think I'm just doing what you're telling me to do, which I'm just like, oh, thank God. I don't have to think about anything. I don't have to guess. You're just very much telling me what to do. And I know that I'm pleasing my partner because they're only asking me to do things that I'm comfortable with and as well as they're comfortable with. That's been really great. There have been situations where I'm like, I'm comfortable with this person, but maybe I'm not 100% there where I've been in a situation where I'm like, oop, I'm out of the space and is this the right decision? And then ended up dating that person for a really long time and being like, it was the right decision. But I did have a moment in time where, again, I just like overthink a whole lot where I definitely need someone to reassure me and communicate. And when I have that, I'm literally happy as a clam. Yeah. Clams can be happy. <laughs> That's beautiful too, because it sort of removes the pressure of like needing to be right right away. Like why not err on the side of caution? And then if it is a person that's going to stick around, they'll stick around. It'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know? What about the physical specificity of like, what do you love being done to you? 
Yes. So I'm a little bit bratty too. So I like to push a little bit and to know that my dom is going to be like, no, you're so cute. You think you can do those things and really restrain me. Cool. Whether it's through their words or like physically, I really enjoy being bound up so that I can't move. And if I really do want to touch myself, I am almost edged towards like, nope, you're not going to do that until I say it's okay or you have to beg for it. I do enjoy some impact play as well. Spankings, slappings hands or paddles a flogger are really fun as well and i had i don't even know what it's called but it's kind of like the thing that cowboys puts on their boots spurs <laughs> oh like yes. a warburton wheel yeah 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 the spiky wheel pinwheel yes. yeah, yeah, yeah yes so being like banked with that and then having that run over you like the release of endorphins from that is just amazing we've gotten spanked with it does that draw blood Oh, no, not spanked with like being spanked. Oh, and spanked then and then. Oh, it, yeah. yes, 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 yes. That red tender skin. Oh, my God. Amazing. Before we started recording, I was checking in to see which side you fell on in terms of dom sub or switchiness. And you said mostly subby. Mm-hmm. Is it just the bratty part that's the mostly or is there something else there? Well, so I am a big, <laughs> so I'm six foot one. Oh, really? Yeah. It's hard to tell. You can't tell over the computer. No. Oh, man, this is why I wish I could interview people in a real space. Although you might have a hard time bonking your head inside the play ship in the future, but we'll make outside recordings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm really tall and I have a really big personality. So when people meet me at first, they're like, oh, you're for sure a top. Like, I really want you mm. to do these things to me. And I'm like, but that's not, I know that that's who I am, but it's not who yes. I am. And so I have been in relationships where they have asked me to switch and I have taken that role, but I honestly feel like a baby yeah, yeah. where I'm like, okay, what? Like I yeah. need like a power bottom who's going to tell me what to do. And then I'm like, okay, great. We're on the same page. So I can do those things, but it doesn't feel comfortable, normal, or natural. So I can do it. And I have done it. And when I have someone who I can really be bratty with, then it's like a fight for control, which I, I like to think that I win, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hopefully it's mutual winning, right? Like in the fight, it's like you win when you lose. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> are those mostly like verbal sparring or does it get physical? Like, are you into wrestling or like physical restraining like that? It definitely always starts off as a lot of verbal back and forth that can lead into a physical. I'm tall and I have dated people taller or stronger than me, but I've also dated people who are like a lot smaller and shorter than me. Mm -hmm. So again, when I'm like physical, I'm like, I could win, but I'm going to let you win. So yes, it can get physical. That's so hot. What things make you feel really desired or appreciated sexually? Words of affirmation for sure. Mm. Any sort of praise is just like, I'm ready. Let's do this. But I also like a little bit of degradation in there as well. So I'm like, don't totally worship me because then I'm like, "Mm, there's no fun in this. But a little spice of like, you dirty little slut, you're a good girl. And then I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I'm a good slut. (laughs) That gets me going. (laughs) I love that. Do you have specific turn-ons or turn-offs? Okay. So I think it's very like situational because again, there's been things where I've been like, I would never be into that. And then been like, oh, I am into that. (laughs) 
And then things where I'm like, I'm totally into this. And then someone did it in a way that I felt was incorrect. And then been like, I'm not into that in the way that you are. So I think it really depends. But really big turn ons are a lot of teasing. And especially when we're in some place that's inappropriate. Mm. And I really like pushing it there and being pushed in those situations. And like, where this probably isn't the most appropriate time. Can you give us examples? Like how inappropriate are we talking? Like nursing home, deathbeds, like. Oh, okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely in places that were like where we're in public, where we're Mm. at a party, but maybe it's like a work party and maybe it is pretty casual, but at the same time you have to be professional or sending sexy texts like when you're at work in a meeting and being like, lots of teasing as well. Turn offs are people who deal in absolutes like you will do this. Like that's kind of where my bratty comes in. I'm like, no, I won't. And if there's no play there, then I'm like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. This isn't enjoyable. I would say that's a pretty big turnoff. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you, it sounds like if there's a container set up ahead of time of like, they're giving you an order that you already know, because it sounds like Mm -hmm. there is a submissive part of you that like wants to get told the things when there's already agreement. But if it's like the assumption, am I hearing the assumptions are big turnoffs? Yeah. Or it's something that we haven't talked about before. And then it's like, you're going to do this thing, or I'm not going to give you this thing in a way. And I'm like, I think we misunderstood each other there. And so once you're in the scene, it can sometimes feel disruptive to like go through that again. But I have been with people who I don't want to say purposefully misinterpreted things, but were insensitive to re- visiting those things like in the moment you know what I mean so they're just like but you said this and I'm like yeah but I don't think that I meant it in this way maybe I didn't know that at the time but now I know at this time yeah and like nothing bad has happened from it but you know people feelings get hurt and that's never fun so yeah and I think for me too it's really really hot reassuring and trust building when I can assert a new boundary because I just discovered it and be like, hey, I'm checking in with myself and I'm realizing I need this or like, I know I said that and I'm saying this now. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny to me how often in the world people reserve the right to change their mind and reserve the right to get mad at me when I change mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's something I'd love for us to shift out of. I really am trying to get there too, again, because I think a lot of my interactions and relationships have been very centered on like their pleasure that sometimes I even forget about my own. So I really am trying to be like, you are important too. And this is yeah. your experience as well, not just in this dynamic, but in these different ways. So that type of verbiage and frame of mind is critical going forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know that you are celibate right now, but if you were like in the dating zone, once you went kinky, did you continue vanilla things? Do you try to stick with kinky people? Like what are your kind of preferences like there? So I've done both. And I've been in pretty vanilla relationships, but more so I have been trying to find people who more so align with the things that I'm interested in. So even when I was in a relationship with someone and we were having vanilla sex, we were still exploring kink 
things. So we were going to kink events. We were trying to explore dungeons and Ooh. and doing things like that. But it never really traveled into the bedroom based on their individual experiences and mine. Just it didn't mesh in that way. But everything else about our relationship was just wonderful. So that's kind of when I discovered being poly was possible. Because if we weren't feeling like, I guess a lot of people think that relationships are like your person completes you. So they should be able to like fit all these needs. And the the wonderful thing that I discovered through this with Polly is that just like you have a lot of various friends who are variety and fill different needs, like your partners can also fill different needs in that way. So even though we didn't do that in our relationship in the bedroom, I had other relationships where it was met. And therefore my relationships with each individual's were very comfortable in that way. Can you paint some of the specifics of relationships that you've held concurrently? So I heard that you're like in a relationship at one point with a vanilla partner, but it sounds like you had other partners doing different things. Can you just kind of give us the little snippet overview of what that was like for you? Yeah. So I was dating two men at the time and one was kind of like my primary or my anchor and our relationship was more of like the daily kind of the person that you see all the time every day. And we were very close and borderline potentially moving in, but not really there. And then my other partner was somebody who lived a lot further away. So we didn't get to see each other all the time, but we were still very involved through text and that sort of thing. And then when we would get together, it was also intense there. And both of my partners also had other partners. And then we even ended up at one point where like I met someone on a dating app who had a partner who that partner was seeing my partner. And then we ended up in this like cube thing at one point. And so, (laughs) or square, I don't know. It's just like when you try to look at it, it's like a spider web of like, oh, everybody kind of knows everybody. And so that was, I think the most, other than being a third in somebody's open relationship while I was also dating other people. So I've done that as well too. Mm -hmm. In that quad situation, it was parallel. Did you all ever fuck at once? That's what I'm trying to ask. (laughs) Not in that one square. We did not. But I have in another relationship where we did. (laughs) How was that? Yeah. Will you tell us about your group sex experiences and what you like and what you dream of? Yes. My dream is to go to a house party where there's like literally 50 people and we're all like on the same page and can just walk through and just... That like, if you've ever seen the movie Perfume, yes, <laughs> there's I have, yeah, where there's like 300 people all fucking each other. Like, I want that sort of like feeling. So that would be a dream. And then I tell everyone else a dream would be to be there's like five guys and just me. I'm like, I have three holes in two hands. Like, why well, can't keep everybody busy? That would be like a dream for me. <laughs> I want that too. <laughs> so hard to find. And then my other experiences I've done where I've had a threesome where it was two girls and a guy. I've had a foursome where it's two guys and two girls. And the things that I do like is when everybody is comfortable with touching everybody and everybody's comfortable in the scenario. And I don't like when somebody, whether it's because of their relationship or their sexual orientation, where they're like, I don't want to do xyz whether it's kissing touching looking at this person which i understand boundaries but at the same time like i just don't want to be in the room where like people are 
just fucking each other in the same room. Like I want us to all be kind of involved and comfortable with all of us being involved. And that's the extent of that. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. So would you also want to go to like sex club type places or does your demisexual self like the idea of a house party vibe where like, would you need to know the people basically? So I've been to dungeons before, which are more like kink focused and less sex focused, but I've definitely wanted to go to a sex club, but I would need to go with someone who I do feel comfortable with. So I can like have sex in front of people. I think that's super freaking hot. And I can even like meet someone and get to know them in a situation like that. But I would need to have someone there as like my anchor of trust where I'm like, you can help me. So yes, I definitely want to do that. I just haven't met that person or been in a situation where I could bring a person like that with me to it. Totally, totally. I'd love to hear since you have experience both with a couple and just like partners and partners of partners, like any insights on like differences in textures between like being a third in someone's relationship and like group sex between, I don't want to say equals, but just other parties. Yeah. So the one thing that I really liked being in a threesome and being with two people, I really like bringing pleasure to other people. So making two people come at the same time is really powerful. And I was like, I can do anything. (laughs) Great power. And being in, again, like two couples in the same place, there's just a little bit of a dynamic between comfortability, I think, where mainly in my experiences with the men where they're like, I could totally handle this. And then the situation comes and like, maybe I can't. So it just kind of becomes like sex adjacent rather than like sex together. So I would much rather have sex together rather than sex adjacent unless we plan for that from the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I'm all into those expectations. You're in this time where you're focusing on your own needs and your own desires. How do you imagine that might affect the conversations that you're going to be having with future partners? Yeah, so I think that it's going to be a lot of talking and fleshing things out before we really dive into it. And I want to say that, oh my gosh, I'm going to have so much information that like my next sexual experience is totally going to go perfectly and amazing. And it totally could, but it could also be where I just find out again, oh, maybe I'm not really (laughs) where I thought I was. Everything is possible. Yeah. So I'm trying to have realistic expectations of what those future relationships are situated situationships or experiences are going to be, but I hope that I will be a better advocate for myself. Yeah. Where in the past I've been, if you're happy, I'm happy. Yeah. I've been noodling a lot on how to share my needs and my learnings about myself without basically giving someone a verbal manual that feels like rules. And so I've been really curious about how do I center my own needs and make it clear that I'm also, you know, in a vibe of mutuality. Do you have a plan for how you might start meeting new people like post pandemic? So I am honestly super stoked to be post pandemic. I'm I'm an extrovert when I do go out Mm. to events, like I meet people and I vibe and I'm like a little bit of a little shit and an instigator. So I'll definitely like 
I end up making out with a lot of different people and having masks on, uh, again, has like forced me to be a little bit restrained. And so my hope is that post-pandemic more in-person will be a little bit better because a lot of things that I'm finding on like the apps or online is, I think it's just the state of the world and our evolution through online dating has just been not great. Also, Online dating sucks for the human dopamine system. Like, it takes away the fun roller coaster of dating. It's like, you like each other now. Now go do the fun. And it's like, well, the fun part, that's what, no, we, yeah. it's out of order. Okay, okay. Yeah, and you just get, like, what you imagine this yep. person to be. And then when they don't meet that, then there's, like, disappointment. And then you're like, I didn't actually like this person. But it's very inorganic. So I'm hoping to have more organic experiences. And I'm in a very queer city. And I have a lot of queer friends that are also kind of doing the same thing. So being able to navigate that more in person and having a better understanding of what I'm looking for, I think it's just going to help astronomically, or I hope so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> totally. I'm realizing we didn't really talk about your queerness a whole lot. Do you want to talk about it? How's that been for your sex life? Your queerness? Yeah, <laughs> totally. So again, up until I was about 25, 26, I had been like, yeah, I'm totally straight. And like, you know, Same. I'm on that dick life. And then I started saying yes. And I was like, oh, it turns out I like people and I like bringing pleasure to people. And that could literally be anybody. And I've learned that there's different types of relationships and so many different things. So when I say that I'm pansexual, I say that I like people and everybody can really identify differently as who they are as a person. And that doesn't particularly matter to me as long as we have a connection. Mm. And so I've been trying to explore that more with more queer people or people who are open to being queer or like questioning it, I guess, not open to it, but questioning it. So been diving down that road in a few ways as well. Fuck yeah. Does your gender identity play into your sexuality at all? I think that one of the big things that I'm currently working through or workshopping through is how I want people to perceive me and whether or not how people perceive me is something that I'm comfortable with. Mm. And so I would say like, yes, and also no, but uh, mostly I don't know. I don't know yet. That's a very honest answer. It's probably the only really, yeah. <laughs> I'm just working towards that. And my biggest thing is like, I just want to make sure, which is impossible to do, but I want to make sure that the way people are perceiving me is similar or the same of how I perceive myself. Mm. And I think that's like the most difficult thing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it absolutely is impossible because we can't control other people's experience and we literally don't know like the details of their experience. And at the same time, I can really relate to the feeling of like, no, I think we're like in sync. Like I think earlier you talked about the wavelength vibes and I, I can totally feel that. So you've been in this time of celibacy. Has your masturbation game like gone through the roof? Honestly, nothing exciting there. I'm the laziest masturbator in the world. <laughs> I love lazy masturbation. Like, why not get the easiest pleasure? Yeah, so I'm a quick in and a quick out. So for me, it's all clitoral stimulation. So I just have a Hitachi wand or some sort of vibrator. And then I'm either reading erotica or watching porn or using my imagination. But 
I'm not spending more than five minutes on getting it done. And then I go to bed. So it hasn't been in the past. I've been much more into exploring that, but I think sometimes it's more work than it's worth for me personally. Mm -hmm. So I like to keep it lazy. On that note, what kind of erotica are you into? What kind of porn do you like? Oh, okay. So when I first moved in here, I didn't have internet. So I was reading a lot of books and I was reading a lot of ebooks and I got turned on to like monster romance novels. So they're like someone recommended Ice Planet Barbarians and they're like giant blue aliens. And I was like, this is really fucking hot. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I didn't think that I would like that, but uh, that's really attractive. And then the type of porn that I like is generally involves group play, public, a lot of solo stuff, men or women. Honestly, the more the merrier and the more risque, like getting caught, the better. It's kind of what I'm into. I love it. Are there fantasies we haven't heard about yet that you're like, oh, it would be so great if... Yes. One that I've always wanted to do, which I don't think that I would ever be comfortable with, but in the fantasy world, it definitely makes sense, is I would really love to fuck someone in their office at work. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it would never be my work, but it would always be someone else's to walk out with the fixing the lipstick and like as long as there is a door to close. And it's kind of like that borderline, like, are they doing what I think they're doing in there? Or are they like, not? And then walking out, like everybody knows, but nobody can prove it. And it's like dangerous because it's at work. But it's something I would never feel comfortable doing because I'm so paranoid about like losing your job. Yeah, but yeah. if they were the boss, then I don't know, maybe. I was going to say, work. get the boss in that corner office in the high rise mm-hmm. overlooking the city. That's what I want. Maybe at sunrise before everyone else is there. Sunset. Mm. So what about more general hopes for your sex life going forward? I really want to get back into the kink scene and really dive into like attending kink events or going to a dungeon or like fucking in the woods, (laughs) anything of that nature. So my hopes is that I end up in a relationship with someone who really wants to explore those things and is comfortable exploring those things. So that's my hopes and dreams. Oh my God. I love that. Are there any other like things about your sex life that we haven't heard about yet that you want to tell us? I can tell you about the first time that I had anal sex and it was like the best experience because I feel like it was pretty magical (laughs) in a few different ways. So I had mentioned earlier that I had met this individual and he at the time lived in Sedona, Arizona. And if you've never been there, One really important thing to remember is, well, two, one, it's very beautiful. It's full of red rocks. It's very serene. But two, it's filled with energy vortexes. I've heard that. And if you're not familiar with that, the best way I can describe it is it's just like a place that you just feel good naturally. So that could have been the attribution to why our sex was so great. So we had met up and we went out on a hike to go swim in a creek. And it very quickly led to us like hands all over each other, pulled off on the side of the creek behind a rock 
and just like fucking each other for 45 minutes. And thankfully nobody showed up on us. And I was like, wow, I did not expect that. That was incredible. We kind of put our clothes back on and we walked further up and he's like, let me show you this other really cool place. So we walked up and it's a place where people can kind of boulder and climb on the rocks. And so to paint the scene, there's these big, beautiful rocks with the red rock canyon walls and the green trees. It's a big, beautiful blue day, but it's monsoon season. So there's a little thunder cloud off in the distance and there's thunder happening. And we start touching ourselves and going at it again. And he turned me around and started playing with my asshole. And I was very much enjoying it. And there was no talk about this beforehand, but when he went to go penetrate me there, I literally turned around and I was like, that's not going to fit there (laughs) because in my previous experience with my previous partner, we had, he had just kind of attributed it to the same thing that like a vagina, once it's wet, you can just put it in there. And it was very miserable. And he was like, no, trust me, you just had like two fingers or more in there. And so we end up having anal and it was incredible. And again, like as the thunder is getting louder and closer, I'm getting closer and closer. And then eventually I just like explode in this beautiful orgasm. I'm like sopping wet. I cannot believe that this has happened. And we pull up our pants and he was basically like, well, I told you it would fit. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, yeah, you over-delivered on that. That was incredible. And then a minute later, as soon as we got all our clothes on, some hikers came up <gasps> and around the trail. And I was like, <laughs> and he was like, I think I know those people too. I climb with them sometimes. And then we like hiked back to his place. And I was like, it was amazing. I want to do that all the time. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yes. Since that experience, have you ever had to teach any other partners anal stuff or like have you been the teacher in that realm at all Mm -hmm. I've definitely had to teach partners on how to take it slow and you know wetter sex is better sex and really make sure that we go slow there and when I'm orgasming I like for the friction to stop so I've had to tell a partner like just stop moving when I'm convulsing like the more that you go like it's not as pleasurable for me and kind of had to educate them in those aspects, but nothing for someone who's never done it before. Wow. Okay. I will say I, something popped into my head. We've mentioned earlier that like confidence is a really big thing. And as a submissive, especially somebody who's really tall and oftentimes I'm taller than my partners, that's like a power dynamic. And I feel like a lot of people like they lose power because their partner is bigger than them or taller mm-hmm. than them. And they want to be like, if I'm the dominant, I should be the bigger person. <laughs> and I hate that because it's all about like your confidence and who you are. And I went out with someone once. This is the person we ended up in the car. But when we were at the tabletop at the brewery talking to each other and we had had the conversation and he was much shorter than half my size, honestly, Hmm. and we had had the conversation and he said, are you still interested in pursuing a sexual relationship? And we were like leaning close across the table, like face to face to each other. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And he leaned all the way back in his chair and created space between us and said, "Okay, then kiss me. And made me crawl all the way across the table to kiss him. 
And I was like, man, that's the power move of all power moves. That's hot. It's so hot. So whenever I'm talking to people, and again, because I'm so tall and I have a strong personality, people always assume that I'm the top, but you don't have to be bigger or taller or stronger. You just have to have the attitude, that big dick energy. That's what's going to make it. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. If you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? Definitely pick 18. I would say that it's not about them. It's about the both of you. And it's not about orgasming. It's not about the destination. It is about the journey. So if you can get comfortable with that, then your experiences going forward are going to be great for everyone involved. I fucking love that. Annika, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Do you have a sex question for me? Oh, yes. Do you have a preference when it comes to circumcised or uncircumcised penises? I 